when Jesus had all of this happen, he then went up and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, was raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven in a victory parade, according to Colossians 2.15. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The last moments of Jesus' time on earth were spectacular. While Jesus blessed his disciples, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Most Christians believe that he's still blessing his disciples today. With this in mind, here's David with the conclusion of his message called The Ascension. Why would these people say they'd seen a resurrected Jesus under the threat of persecution, scourging, torture, and martyrdom? Why would they die for something they knew was a lie? Let me tell you something, folks. The first strap that hits my back, especially one matted with bones and metal, the first one that bites into my flesh, I yell out, sorry, just kidding. We made it up. But they didn't. Every single one, even being tortured, even under martyrdom, died yelling out, Christos es curios, Christ is Lord. Why? They'd seen a resurrected Jesus. The resurrection's not optional. If you follow Jesus, you've got to believe in it. Call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious. That's fine. Our culture's being imbibed with people of that perspective. That's fine. And continue to seek. We want you to seek. Just don't call yourself a Christian because that doctrine of the resurrection is absolutely essential. Now, what's the next one? Jesus not only died and was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven. Now, you ready to get into it? From Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 50 through 53. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, gave them a benediction. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried where, folks? Up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. If you really believe in the cross, resurrection, and ascension, you can't help but worship with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus blessed them before he ascended. They in turn blessed God through Jesus because of all the joy they had in their hearts. Now remember, Luke goes to Acts 1. Listen to this, Acts 1 verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, what's the first book? The Gospel of the Gospel of Luke. In the first book, Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during a 40-day time period and speaking about the kingdom of God. So over 40 days, he appeared to them many times, and his major sermon topic was what? the kingdom of God, his reign, his rule. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The third person of the Godhead, God the Father sent his Son. As we believe in him, we are filled with whom? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, one God in three persons, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still had it was an idea, an earthly kingdom. Will you now restore the Davidic earthly kingdom? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was what, folks? He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they, that's the disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So if you know your scripture, you know that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he went back from where he came. This was basically a homecoming from him. Remember the father said to the son before incarnation, would you go? Jesus said, yes, I'll go. So the son departed from the father, still in oneness and union life in a way we can't explain. He came to this earth, birthed in a stable through a virgin named Mary. And, and when Jesus had all of this happen, he then went up and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, was raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven in a victory parade, according to Colossians 2.15. That, that verse, interestingly, says that all of the demonic powers and principalities were made a spectacle of themselves in heaven. In other words, like, like Romans, when they won a great battle, would come into Rome with a huge parade and all the people would be cheering and yelling. Well, Jesus came into heaven, maybe having some of the saints who'd gone on before him, marched through the streets of the new Jerusalem, and there was cheering from all the angels as they said, welcome home, welcome home. And then he sits on the throne with his father, the father saying to him, well done, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. He sits at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of authority. May I say that again? It's the place of authority. And he stays there ruling over all of the universe, ruling over your lives, my life. And he waits until the fixed day that the Father then turns to the Son again and says, go. Now, only the Father knows when that day is. The Bible is so clear, it's going to happen. And one day the father will turn to the son and the son will come back and he'll be as he went up in a cloud. The cloud is always the presence of God in the Bible. As God led the Israelites, for example, by day with a cloud and by night with a fire, it's always the presence of God. So he left in a cloud the presence of the father with him and those two angels who were with him said, that's where he's going and he's going to come back one day in a cloud with all the angels to get those of us who are still living when he comes back. Now, if you die before then, if you love Jesus, I think he's going to send at least one, maybe two angels to take you home. That's what I believe. I believe he cares for us so much, he won't let us go to heaven alone. And he's going to give angels to take us home, just like these two angels said. That's where he's going. And when he comes back, that's the ninth doctrine. That's the second coming. And it's essential. You've got to believe that the one who left's going to come back, claim those of us who believe in him, we're going to be raised up in the cloud with him. And then the next job he's going to do is he's going to restore creation. He's going to restore what was lost in Genesis 1 and 2 and the third chapter of Genesis, the fall. He's going to restore everything to harmony the way God wants it to be. Are you with me? Would you give God praise for that? That's going to be Jesus' responsibility after he takes his people up with him in the cloud. And again, when's that going to happen? Who knows? God the Father knows, and it's fixed in his mind. So 
We live presently in between Jesus' ascension and his second coming, don't we? So the question for all of us today is, so what? What should we be about as we reflect upon the ascension and then the second coming of Jesus? Let me give you three truths that I think you need to recognize today and live in. First of all, there should be no fears in your life. (laughs) You shouldn't have fear about anything in your life. Why is that? Folks, when I was a little boy, my mom and dad bought me an electric train set. And I had the engine and I had a bunch of other cars. And the key to that train going around the track was all the other cars being connected to the engine. And if you had the rest of the cars coupled rightly to the first engine, that train would run and run and run endlessly. Well, here's the truth. For those of you who've accepted Jesus, you are now abiding in Christ. You are connected to Christ. You are in union life with Christ. And like that train, you are coupled with Christ. And the engine is stronger than all the other cars, right? So all the other cars have got to go where the engine goes, right? Talk at me, right? Right. So wherever the engine goes, the cars follow. That means if we are coupled with Jesus, who's the stronger, right? God in human flesh, the ultimate power of the universe, the sovereign Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father, that means wherever he goes, we go, right? So that means if he died, we died with Christ, right? That means if he was raised, we're what? Raised with Christ. If he's ascended, what does that mean? We are ascended with him. And if that's true, what are you worried about? Your life is in him and he rules the universe. What are you worried about? You worried about death? Well, let me give you this illustration. Stephen, one of the early church deacons, loved Jesus with all his heart. His life was coupled with him. Paul killed him as a martyr. Listen to these words in Acts 7, 55 and 56, the last moments in the life of Stephen. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, his life totally under the authority of Jesus, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing where? At the right hand of God in the position of power. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I think as the heavens opened and Stephen looked up and saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father, Jesus had this big, goofy grin on his face. And probably going, come on home, Stephen. Stephen wasn't fearful of death. Why? Because his life was connected to an ascended Jesus. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 3.22. Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the what? Right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been what? subjected to him. That means all your problems, all your worries, all your fears, folks, if you are coupled with Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, all of those are in subjection to the Lord of the universe. What are you afraid of? If your life is in him and his life is in you, that means he controls everything. You die, you go to be with him, so what? You have something bad happen to you, he's using it for good, he promised. Believe it. And the ascended Jesus should make your fears start to evaporate and peace consume your heart. Secondly, you feel good about yourself. If you really believe in the ascended Jesus who's gonna come back again, you feel good about yourself. Now look at this verse in Ephesians 2, 6. 
and through Christ raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? Do you see what it's saying? Please nod and make me feel just a little bit good right now. Do you see what that's saying? That means if you have low self-esteem, if you're constantly beating yourself up, if you feel awful about yourself, that you're lower than a worm, you're the dregs of society, if you are coupled with Jesus, he does not look at you that way. Why? Because you believe in the ascension. And if that's true, that means as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, that means you and I who believe in him and are coupled with him sit at his right hand right next to the right hand of the Father. That means as Jesus is ruling over all of the universe, you and I who believe in him are sitting with him ruling over all of the universe right now. Does that excite anybody? If so, give him praise, would you? <laughs> so how can you have low self-esteem if you really believe right now you're seated at the right hand of Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all the world? That's an essential belief. And if you don't believe that, call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious, just don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Because if you really believe that, the ascension rules the reality of your heart. And here's another cool thing. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is regularly making intercession for all of his people. That, that means he's regularly praying for those of us who are believing in him, coupled with him. That means that when you're not praying, he's praying. When you're not believing, he's believing. When you're not sure, he's sure. And that means all day long, every minute, every day, the Jesus whom you're coupled with sitting next to in eternity is praying for you. Praying for all your needs. And there's a plan. You can trust him. Thirdly, you have a life's purpose. So, so we live in between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. What in the world are we supposed to be doing in between that? So glad you asked. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. Peter said, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Every single one of you, me, we've all got a gift that God's given us. Some of us have more. It's like the parable of the talent. Some guy got 10, some guy got five, one guy got one. The guy who gave the talents then leaves. What's that? That's the ascension. And then Jesus taught in the parable of the talents, one day I'm going to come back again and I'm going to hold you accountable for how, I've, uh, how you've used my gifts that I've given you. And the one who had 10, who got 10 more, and the one who got five, got five more. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. The one who got one and was afraid and lazy and cowardly who hid the talent, Jesus called that person wicked and slothful. I don't think I want that word for me. So in between, what do you do? You take the gifts that God's given you, the time, treasures, and talents that God has given you, and you do two things. One, you're a witness. You go to your neighbor, to your work associate. You go and you're a witness. You know, don't you, that as a follower of Jesus, you are a witness. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? And if you were put on trial for being a witness of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Jesus said, 
If you love me and, and the Spirit has come upon you and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and he controls every area of your life, you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses. And it's interesting, the word witness there is martus in the Greek, which means martyr. It means you're willing to die for him. Not necessarily that he'll call you to do that, but you're willing. And again, I, I've said it so often, if you don't have anything to die for, you have nothing to live for. But, but you're willing to go locally and globally. Secondly, you restore as when he comes back, he'll restore this mess to God's original intent and creation. You start working now to restore. What? Finding clothes for naked people. Finding clean water for those who can't drink it. Doing something to stop the evil of human trafficking. Contemporary slavery. To do something to help the prison system. Visiting them, as Jesus said. To do something to give a word of encouragement to the wounded and the hurting. Do something to keep the restoration of the kingdom of God moving forward. For that was Jesus' message. Can we complete it ourselves in our own strength? Come on, what's the answer? No, we will never complete it. Only Jesus will complete it when he comes again. But in the meantime, between the ascension and the second coming, we are to work to restore the kingdom of God. What existed in Genesis 1 and 2 that will be completely restored when he comes again. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with insights on finding courage, even in life's most difficult times. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen. And that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, you called this morning's moment of hope Courage is knowing what's ahead, but still moving forward. This is a Davidism all of us can benefit from. Thanks, Jen. And it's really addressing what true courage is, because a lot of people think that courage is not knowing what's ahead, yet you still move ahead even when it's foggy. And I would suggest that real courage knows exactly what's ahead of you, yet you still choose to move ahead clearly, knowing the clear and present danger that faces you. Courage is something we need to have in our faith walk today like never before. We are being challenged with all kinds of secularist thinking, all kinds of challenges to our faith, and we need to have courage amidst that conflict and continue to move forward. So courage is not blindly moving ahead. Courage is clearly knowing what's ahead of you, yet still choosing to move ahead. It's David who races toward Goliath, Mm. the eight-foot-plus monster with a huge shield and sword wanting to kill this flimsy Israelite. He knew what awaited him. He only had five smooth stones and a slingshot, yet he courageously ran toward the giant. Probably the better example, though, biblically might be Jesus himself. He clearly knew what was going to happen to him on the cross. The cross was invented by the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans. Mm. And the Romans perfected the pain of the cross by identifying the nerve centers in the body, particularly in the wrists and in the ankles, and driving stakes through both when they crucified people. So when Jesus continually antagonized the Jewish officials, he knew he was antagonizing them to the point where they would collude with Rome for his own crucifixion. He knew the horrific pain of the cross. Mm. Christians and others during that day who dared to rebel against Rome were put on those crosses in public spaces. Just imagine having it done in some very public mall because they wanted everyone to view the pain and therefore choose to obey what Rome wanted them to do. Jesus knew his crucifixion would be public. He knew it would be painful. And probably that which threatened him the most was the idea of being separated from his father. Mm. He came to this earth in union life with the Father, and the thought of taking the sins of the world upon himself made his heart, I think, agonize. Mm -hmm. He knew how painful that would be. In fact, he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the Father had to turn his back on his son, disassociate himself from Jesus because of sin coming upon him. Jesus knew all of that pain physically, emotionally, and spiritually, yet he still chose Mm -hmm. to go to the cross. That's an example of true courage. It's the kind of courage Jesus followers will need in the future like never before. Wow, this is so compelling. I'm convicted myself, and the Bible does encourage us to count the cost. Yes. Count the cost and face it. So this is really good. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome, Jen. And and Jesus himself said in Luke 14, a general doesn't go to war until he counts the cost of whether he can win. A person doesn't build a house until they count the cost, whether they can complete it or not. Before you follow Jesus, count the cost. There will be be 
people who don't like you. There will be threats and violence, yet still you choose courageously Mm -hmm. to move forward. Mm, Thank you so much for being with us today, David. Thank you, Jen. And if anyone would like to receive these daily written Moments of Hope, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours every morning at 7 a.m. to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.